Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Just Doing Our Cop, back after a brief hiatus. My name is Casey Serma. And I'm Robbie Harbin. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some current sports news, such as coronavirus, and when Casey and I think sports are going to be coming back. We have some recent OBJ, OBJ trade rumors coming to light. we got XFL folding. A lot of things actually happening despite no live sports. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Casey, how have you seen the coronavirus impact sports so far outside of taking away live sports? I mean, honestly, it's just been ridiculous. It's been crazy. I mean, I've never seen anything like this, even like crazy events in human history, like 9-11, for example, sports really didn't stop besides one day. So something like this has just been unprecedented. And I've never really seen anything like it in my life. It's been pretty tough to deal with. But I mean, I guess we'll get through it. How about you, Robbie? You know, I kind of agree. Um, I remember I was actually playing in a basketball tournament when it was announced that Rudy Gobert had it and that whole ordeal with the Oklahoma City and Utah Jazz game getting stopped. And then he tested pause for it that night. The NBA suspended its season. You know, the Kings-Pelicans game wasn't played that night. And that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, this is actually serious. I, I mean, I think that was on March 11th. So we're already over a month in without, you know, NBA at least and several other sports. And I don't think anybody necessarily saw it taking this drastic of a route. But, you know, here we are almost a month later with no no sports in the foreseeable future. I feel bad for the guys like Vince Carter, too, that didn't know that that might. I mean, it's not confirmed that he's retiring yet, but that could have been his last game. I mean, with the Hawks, it's just really sad for a lot of players, too. And not to mention all the winter sports athletes, like for college and NCAA that like the Daytons that probably had the best team they've ever had in school history that won't get to put that on display at the NCAA tournament. It's pretty sad for them, but I mean, it's a pandemic. I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. I mean, it was just, even that day with all the conference tournaments going on, I was so crazy. You know, Creighton had started their game before, before it got canceled at halftime when virtually every other major basketball conference was canceled already. You know, I mean, that's just something that I don't think many people saw coming, especially since they were already playing without fans, but then they decided to just go ahead and cancel it all. Then, you know, obviously within that same day or a day later, the NCAA went ahead and canceled all spring sports. So we lost the College World Series, you know, college baseball season, track and field, wrestling, different things like that all ended out of, you know, just so abruptly. Yeah, and and then with uh, spring sports even now offering some their athletes to come back and get full scholarship on return, or not full scholarship, but partial scholarship, and they can come back and play another season. It's just a crazy time, too, because you got to think all those baseball teams that are going to be coming back are going to have new players coming in, so rosters are going to be overloaded. It's just – it's a lot of – and not even to mention if this goes into next year and affects other college sports and just sports in general, how, like – that kind of snowballs downhill into something greater. I mean, there's a lot that can really happen in the sports world over the next couple of months. So it'll be definitely very interesting to see. It'll also be, I'm curious to see if more schools follow in like Wisconsin's footsteps where they're, you know, they're already announced that they're not giving their spring athletes a waiver. Like their spring athletes are done and their careers are ended. So I'm curious if more schools will do that to avoid, you know, scholarship caps or, 
budget issues, different things like that. Then I believe just this week, uh, Cincinnati came out cutting their men's soccer team because, you know, I think we're going to start seeing some some cutbacks from schools because obviously with sports being gone, that's a huge part of their athletic department budget and finances. So I think in the future, you know, over these next few weeks, next month or so, we're going to start seeing a lot of schools cut a lot of programs. Yeah, I was reading stuff about like with some of the schools, not necessarily Nebraska because they're one of the one self-sustaining athletic programs in the country that can pay for themselves and do all their budgets for themselves and operate within themselves. But places that rely on students and student tuition to supplement their athletics, if there's less and less kids going to school in the fall next year, that could negatively affect budgets for the next couple of years and just lead to all sorts of cutbacks in college sports. So, I mean, there is a lot that can really happen from the fallout of this virus that people aren't even talking about yet with the return to sports being at the forefront of their ideas, but there's so much more that could possibly happen with it. It's just nuts. Yeah. There's really no timetable on when anything is going to happen. You know Um, I mean, Florida just declared that sports are essential down there. So, you know, MLB's looked at Arizona to play the NBA could possibly be looking at Florida to play just for, you know, isolating their teams, no fans, obviously only essential personnel, but, you know, we have obviously no valid plans at this point. So definitely, obviously, everyone in America is going to have their eyes on everything that's going on with this. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's already been organizations, too, like the WWE, we'll talk on a little bit later, that have already started to implement different strategies to come back early or if they haven't left at all. But, I mean, even the or the UFC that was talking about having like their own fight island like a private island where they literally only have UFC fights going on which is just a crazy idea but I mean a time like this where they're craving content and literally live streaming horse competitions on TV I mean that would have went over huge I think yeah and I mean Dana White you know obviously was pushing so hard to get UFC to fight anywhere sounded like they had some fights lined up in in um, California for this upcoming weekend that the ESPN and Disney executives kind of at the top canceled because they just didn't think it was worth it. But man, that, I mean, there have been some major fights in UFC history and that's still, if they would have kept this going on for this weekend, that probably would have been the most watched UFC event in history. Just oh, yeah, because people sure. are craving it. Yeah, I for sure would have tuned in. I mean, any, I know sports fans around the country, cause I'm feeling it too. Like it's just, you need something. Like there's something, there's just something huge missing in your life, you know? And it's just like, what the heck? There's so much more time to do things, but at the same time, there's nothing to do. It's just crazy. Yep. All right, let's go ahead, move on from coronavirus, get into some NFL news, starting with Odell Beckham Jr. trade rumors just recently came to light. Um, as of right now, it sounds like the most recent talks is him uh, going to Minnesota for a couple picks, a second rounder and a fifth rounder is most recently what came out. Um, what do you think? Do you think the Browns should move on from Odell? I think the Browns should move on from Odell just mainly because of it doesn't seem like it's worked out at this point. But I think the real problem that I have with this trade is why Minnesota is even trading for him. Because, I mean, I, you're getting a little bit of a step up from the Stephon Diggs. And, but the reason you traded Stephon Diggs in the first place is because of the drama and the issues that Stephon, bring, Stephon Diggs brings to the table. But, I mean, you're going to go out and trade for the, like, biggest, most dramatic player in the league, Odell Beckham, after that, after you just had problems with Stefan, Just really doesn't make sense with me. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know if this really makes 
a lot of sense for the Browns either because with Stefanski coming in, I think their offensive system is going to be much improved from what Kitchens was running because obviously Stefanski ran a, a very similar type of offense in Minnesota where he had two stud wide receivers, a solid tight end, really good running back core. And that's, I mean, that's essentially what Cleveland has. You look at Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt out of the backfield, very serviceable, very comparable to a guy like Dalvin Cook. But then Odell, Jarvis on the outside. I, I don't know why they'd be so quick to move on from Odell, especially, you know, last year they gave up a first rounder, a third rounder, and Jabril Peppers for him, who's obviously a very solid defensive core player for the Giants now. So I think that they might be jumping the gun a little bit. And if they do, I think Odell still has all the talent in the world. I think he was just very poorly used last year in Cleveland. So if they do want to get him traded, I think you should honestly keep him, try to boost his value up a little bit this year because you can get, when he's at his best, he's way worth way more than a second and a fifth rounder. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, but the thing that really hinges on it for me too is does Stefanski think that Baker will progress? Because, I mean, if he goes out like last year and just wastes another year and looks like he played last year. I mean, is it really worth it to have a guy like Odell on the team and pay him all that money when you can go and offload him for some picks right now? I guess that's the decision the front office has to make. Yeah, that's why we're we're just talking about it. We're not making that decision. Mm-hmm. All right, sticking with the NFL, we have the NFL draft coming up next week. We're obviously in next week's episode. We'll get we'll take a real deep dive into it, but. You know, it's going to be interesting. Roger Goodell is going to be announcing the picks from his basement, New York, probably the first time in his life that he's not going to get booed at the NFL draft. Um, and, you know, some teams have spoken out that they're kind of worried about the technological aspect of it, whether it's hackers or just delays, different things like that. So, Casey, what are you? What do you think it's going to look like next week with this draft? Ah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I was reading an article about it. It's going to be on Microsoft Teams or a program similar to it. They're they're working with Microsoft on a program that would be not very hackable to get into. And it's just going to be really weird. I mean, you know, normally at the draft, you get the, the long walk from Roger Goodell on the stage, like you said, with the booze and everything. Not going to get that this year. Um, you have obviously war rooms are concerned about like, pick tipping and different things like that that could lead to maybe a missed pick on a player or something like that I don't know it's just gonna it's gonna be a work in progress I think I don't think it's gonna be as smooth until like the second day of the draft yeah it'll be interesting to see especially like you talked about war rooms I saw a tweet earlier where it was comparing Dave Gettleman's war room the GM of the New York Giants to the GM of the uh, LA Chargers who I can't remember the name of right now but the LA Chargers GM had like six computer monitors and like two papers, whereas Dave Gettleman had one computer monitor <laughs> and like a million papers scattered across his desk. And people wonder why the Giants keep missing on picks. It's because Dave Gettleman uses a million pieces of paper and only one computer monitor. Yeah, he's flipping through a million pieces of paper and then all of a sudden his 10 minutes are up and he just looks at a name and he throws it into the commissioner, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious kind of what the uh, the home interviews with players are going to look like because, you know, obviously after they get picked, they get the jersey and the hat and they do that quick little snippet for ESPN, NFL Network, whatever whatever you're watching. But, uh, you know, obviously now they're going to be at home doing their own thing, probably not wearing those crazy suits that they wear pretty much every year. Like C.D. Lamb was just on SportsCenter saying he, didn't, he doesn't even have an outfit picked out. He might just wear sweats at home while he's watching. So that, that – just from the player's perspective, I mean, that's got to be interesting because 
you know, obviously as a player, you want to attend the draft, especially if you're one of those top guys going to go in the first round, but they don't have that opportunity anymore. Yeah, it's just nuts. I mean, this was supposed to be like the craziest fanfare and like just nuttiest draft ever. Remember, we were, we were talking about it in an earlier podcast about like players getting shuttled out at the Bellagio Fountains on boats to the yeah. stage. And now it's just going to be on Skype, basically, <laughs> or Zoom, you know, it's just it's such a change in three months. I didn't think we would ever get to this point. It's nuts. Yeah, it is. All right. So sticking with some uh, some football news, but we're shifting gears over to Vince McMahon and the XFL. You know, just this past week, it was announced that the XFL is suspending all operations, laid off all its employees, has no plans to return. So essentially, the XFL is completely folding in front of our eyes. Um, personally, I'm not super surprised by this. Ever since pretty much that first week, you know, when we were talking about XFL, I always talked about how it just it lacked really quality. It wasn't good football. It was interesting, but it wasn't good. And so I'm not too surprised that it's folded this quickly, but it sounded like originally Vince McMahon had enough money to keep this thing going for like three years, and now he's just bailing out on it. Yeah, I thought so too. I'm I'm wondering how much the TV deals were worth specifically, and if it was on a game-by-game basis. I really didn't see anything out about that. Because if it was on a game-by-game basis, I could not imagine how much money the XFL would lost over the last couple weeks not getting to air their championship, their playoffs, and the last four weeks weeks on like ESPN and Fox and things like that so I mean if they lost that much money I mean that's enough to sink a company a new startup company in like a very short amount of time so I could totally understand why he folded the league if that was the case but just really sad I thought it was a league that definitely could have grown into something better I mean it could have been an intriguing option we talked about for maybe some college players that had issues with eligibility or stuff like that to play there for a year before going to the NFL but I mean, it sucks to see it go. If it is really gone for good, I mean, I mean, what can you do though? It's interesting times. Yeah, I'm. It really sounded like Vince McMahon was all in on this this time. So I just want to know because they haven't really spoken out much about why they why they nixed it or anything. They just had kind of a press conference with reporters over the phone almost, so a teleconference, I guess, and where they just said, you know spending all operations and then you know seeing all those tweets about xfl employees that have lost their jobs obviously and just you know out of the out of the blink of an eye that's what this pandemic seems to be doing to a lot of different places yeah i saw a ton of people i mean you got to feel for some of these people too because i imagine a lot of them were working for the aaf last year at this point and we're looking for new jobs and got a job with the xfl and for different circumstances and reasons, I mean, the same thing happened. So I definitely feel for a ton of those team employees that are now out on unemployment two years in a row because of a a failing football league. All right, let's talk about Vince McMahon's successes. Obviously, WWE has been going on forever. We just had WrestleMania about a week or two ago, uh, hosted by none other than my boy Rob Gronkowski. So Casey, what, what were some of your takeaways with how the WWE is handling this pandemic and going on with WrestleMania without fans? You know, it doesn't seem like the safest thing, obviously, with the coronavirus going on and stuff like that. And there was definitely more than, you know, your social distancing guidelines in the in the place. But honestly, I watched it and I really liked it. I, I thought it was an interesting way to engage viewers at a time where nothing else was happening. You know, you had the matches were a lot better wrestling than I remember, maybe because the crowd wasn't there. So they had to supplement that with better wrestling and stuff like that. Like the undertaker, AJ styles match, the boneyard match that they theatrically Mm -hmm. produced. I thought 
thought that was really interesting. I mean, it was cool to watch because you can't really do that during regular WrestleMania because they'd be out in the ring doing that. So I think WWE kind of took their opportunity and ran with it. And honestly, I thought they did a pretty good job. How about you, Robbie? You know, I think for the, I mean, for the most part, nobody's come out and said that they contracted anything while they were there. And obviously, you know, people craving live sports. It seems like a lot of people tuned in. You get a guy like Rob Gronkowski, that personality in there. Undertaker still going at it with superstar AJ Styles now. And I thought it was interesting how they did a, a two-part event this year, too, with Saturday night and Sunday night versus their traditional Sunday night. They got a lot more matches in that way. Um, obviously, a lot of different storylines, a lot of different things to follow. But uh, my boy, Undertaker, he was my favorite wrestler as a kid growing up. He's still out there just just going at it, beating superstars left and right. Yeah, it was a, I, I, over the couple, last couple of years, you know, I've, I've followed wrestling on and off for my, most of my life. Last couple of years, you know, The Undertaker's been kind of, he's getting older. I mean, everyone does, okay. you know, you can tell. But it was cool watching how they kind of supplemented his, like, lack of mobility with the theatrics that they used, you know. Like, they went back to the old school, like, biker Undertaker I thought was really cool. I mean, I just thought the whole thing was awesome. Like, it's it's something, you know, they, like I said, the WWE really took their opportunity and ran with it, I thought. You know, a lot of the, there's a lot of debate and discussion over who the most clutch athlete is of all time. You got Michael Jordan, 6-0 in the finals. Joe Montana, 4-0 in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady with six rings. Bill Russell with 11. Nobody ever brings up The Undertaker. I mean, he's what, like 23, 24-1 now, WrestleMania, something like mm-hmm. that. Complete, complete and under disrespect. Didn't he lose that? He lost to Brock Lesnar. That was his one loss like four years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because he had those two awesome matches with Shawn Michaels in back-to-back years, and then a couple of years later, Brock Lesnar came along and ended the streak. I remember watching that. That was just a shame. I always thought – I the whole match, I had not, in the back of my head, I was like, there is no way he's going to lose it. I mean, he never loses. There's no way the, the WWE would have him lose this match. And then when it happened, I was like – Holy crap, they just ended it. They ended the streak after 22 years or whatever it was. Yep. That was crazy. All right, let's go ahead and move on from our current news, go into a couple of our usual segments. We are going to be without uh, the Daily Fantasy in the betting segment just because we really don't have much sports to bet on right now. So we're going to skip into Is It an Overreaction, where, of course, Casey and I will be presenting takes to one another, discussing whether or not it's an overreaction. So, Casey, how about you go ahead and give me your first take? All right, my first take for you, Robbie. Uh, this has been an interesting one for NBA and NHL fans over the last couple of weeks. I think that the NBA and NHL seasons are probably over. You know, Casey, it breaks my heart to say it, but I don't think this is an overreaction. You know, obviously – I've not seen as much of the NHL's plans as the NBA, but I know the NBA is working tirelessly, as I'm sure the NHL is, to get back and that the NBA plans to finish this season, even if it means finishing in, you know, September, October, once football already starts, and then having a, just a couple-month offseason and completely throwing off the schedule, you know, versus pre-agency in July. We might potentially have the NBA season pick back up in July, so I'm not – I'm not totally sure that they're completely over, but I, I'd lean a lot more likely that they are over than not. Do you think this comes into a question of just reestablishing like a sense of normalcy and canceling the season and just hoping that this all goes away in October? Or do you think that it's 
it, it's the NBA is pushing. Like, we need to get this in. Like, if we don't get this in, it's a huge loss for us. Well, it sounds like the NBA wants to finish their season no matter what. So at that point, it would be, I think, a thing of normalcy where they just don't expect it to finish anytime soon and want to just worry about next season and preparing the best way they can for next season. Um, you know, everything, everything with this whole coronavirus and COVID-19 is, is taken a day by day. That's kind of what we expect the NBA to do, the NHL to do, and all these sports leagues until we figure out something. All right, Casey, my first take for you is that the NFL draft will be the most watched draft in history. I am going to say that that is not an overreaction. I mean, we touched on it a couple times today in the show. There is nothing else on. Like, there is literally nothing else on. I, I watched NBA and WNBA players literally play horse on their last weekend just because I was so bored. That was a train wreck, I thought, but that's to be touched on later. I mean, we crave live entertainment and the draft. I, I mean, there's tons of people that watch the draft anyway. I feel like they're just going to draw so many more people because it's literally the only thing live that's happening besides like political press briefings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's just, you know, when you'd look at NFL free agency, I feel like everybody was tuned into ESPN and Twitter when all that stuff was going on just because of live sports. You know, Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, crazy. Like, that's the craziest thing to happen in weeks. I swear, every day I turn on ESPN or, you know, any of those sports channels for about a solid two weeks there, it was all about where's Tom Brady going to go. And then for that, was, that was for the first week. And then the second week was Tom Brady's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. What does that mean for the Patriots? What does that mean for, for Tampa Bay? That's right. I said Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, I like that. I, I told you. He has a, a copyright, but yeah, he's yeah. I didn't we'll, see. We'll I thought Tennessee though, but you know what are you gonna do? Yeah, they want to pay Ryan Tannehill instead, though. We'll see how that works out for him. I don't know if he's gonna stay the same that he normally was. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna move on to my next take for you, Robbie. Uh, the NBA horse competition was a good concept, but bad execution. Um. I'm going with this is not an overreaction. The only reason I would say is an overreaction is because I didn't think that the it was even that good of a concept to begin with. You know, just because when you're going for these house shots and these crazy trick shots, not everybody has the same layout at their basketball hoop. You can't do trick shots, the same trick shot everywhere. So I, I was just curious how that was going to work, but obviously we didn't have too many issues with that during it. But, yeah, it was, it was boring to watch. Um, Paul Pierce got absolutely ran out by Zach Levine. <laughs> CP3 lost to Allie Quigley. Uh, my boy Trey Young lost to Chauncey Billups, but made respect for Chauncey Billups. But especially, I mean, they took away dunking, which is obviously understandable when you have players like Tamika Catchings, Allie Quigley, Trey Young, who obviously can't really dunk. And you have Zach Levine, who could just slam it like none of the others could. Um, it definitely got people tuned in, but it did not get great reviews. And so I think overall it was probably not the best move. You know, they just had that 2K tournament with players a little bit ago. I thought that was actually more interesting than the horse competition. But, you know, I mean, they're just so desperate to try to put any live sports out there that, I mean, this is kind of all we have and it's just not working out too well right now. Yeah, I am looking I am looking forward to ESPN has done a lot of like they've done experimenting during this phase, but I I'm looking forward. They're, they said they're dropping that the MJ documentary this weekend. So stuff like yeah, that is gonna be Sunday interesting night. to watch. Yeah, so I'll definitely yeah. be tuning in for that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Casey, my next take for you 
is that Tom Brady will win the divorce with Bill Belichick. You know, I would I would say that this is an, uh, correct, but I'm going to go with that this is an overreaction, mainly because of Tom Brady's age. I think if this would have happened, this divorce would have happened like five, six years ago, it would have been fine. I mean, he's going to a new system with a very much less experienced offensive coordinator in Byron Leftwich, which I don't think would matter, matters as much in the long-term scope, but I mean, he's playing – I don't know if the players that he's playing with fit the current stage that he's at right now. I mean, Mike Evans is a deep ball guy. Chris Godwin, deep ball guy. I mean, those guys are guys that he would have been playing with, like Randy Moss in 2009. I just don't know if he's at the level where he can play to, like, that standard where those guys need him to be. Obviously, they played with Jameis Winston last year, which is a huge step up. But I think in the long term, Belichick gets another couple rings just because of how good of a coach and GM he's proven to be over the last couple of years. So I think that's where it, I'm going to say that that's an overreaction. See, my, my main thing behind this is that I think Tampa Bay is clearly more win now than New England just because New England lost guys like Kyle Van Noy. They lost Jamie Collins. They lost a couple defensive linemen. Their offensive linemen should be back. They returned what little weapons they had last year to, to help potentially probably Jared Stidham at the starting spot unless they draft somebody. But I think that just over the next – because Tom Brady only probably has the maybe those two years left in his deal. And I think that – I just think that Tampa Bay kind of has more of a chance than New England to win a ring over the next two years. Oh, yeah, I'm not denying that. If, if Tom Brady goes down there and plays like he did for New England – not last year, but the last couple years before that, is able to, to kind of just manage games way better than Jameis is and just be able to get the ball to his playmakers. I mean, I don't see a problem with how they can go for a Super Bowl this year, but just some of the – I don't know if his gameplay matches what Tampa's trying to do offensively. Like if Bruce Arians is asking him to throw the ball 50 times a game, something he could have did five years ago, I just don't know if he could do it now. Mm-hmm. All right, Casey, what's your last take for me? All right, my last take for you, Robbie, is that NFL free agency was more exciting than most years because it was on TV and not because of the players that were selected in it. You know, um, I'd say this is not an overreaction just because, like I mentioned earlier, you know, turned it on for two weeks, all the, the talk was about Tom Brady. Then once free agency rolled around, we had all these different guys going to different teams. Um, I mean, there were some big names that moved. Obviously, Tom Brady is by far the biggest. You got Teddy Bridgewater going to the Panthers. That's crazy. You got Cam Newton getting released. Uh, some other quarterback movement. Phillip Rivers going to the Colts. But then, you know, you also had some underwhelming moves. Like, I think Melvin Gordon to the Broncos is absolutely disgusting. I hate that for everybody involved. I think that <laughs> Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman are such serviceable backs, serviceable backs in – we're just fine for what Denver was running with their two running back system, helping Drew Locke. I don't think they named him Melvin Gordon, and he ended up taking less money than he would have if he just signed an extension with the Chargers that was initially offered to him last summer. But, you know, I learned just about all this stuff from watching, you know, TV with all the free agency going on, talking about it, breaking down who's going to be best where. And so I, I think it was definitely one of the more interesting ones just because you know, I consumed it so much more than, than years past. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that, that was all that was on. I mean, when we had that week without sports and then all of a sudden I get on my phone and I get the Stefan Diggs update to the Bills, I was like, holy crap. I, that was the most exciting I've been and excited I've been in the last month was just getting that type of news. I mean, 
other than that, I mean, we're not getting anything. I, I think we really took for granted what we were getting before this virus, and this has kind of made me realize it. Yeah, but when I got that uh, that notification about Stefan Diggs going to the Bills, I was a little bit uh, a little <laughs> bit more unhappy than you probably were, but um, that's all right. Hey, you got your six. Let us get one in the next two years. If we even play football, that is. Yeah, true. All right, Casey, my last take for you is moving on to uh, college football, which we kind of touched on earlier. I'm saying that the college football season is not going to start as scheduled. You know, with other sports announcing stuff, like plans to come back in June and stuff, even if it's playing in empty stands, I I lean to thinking that it will come back. Um in August and late August, early September. But I just think that teams need more time to get ready. And with how much colleges depend on athletics for like money and supplementation, and it's more of getting butts and seats than getting TV deals for a lot of those schools. I think that they're going to want to push it back, if not push it to next spring, which I saw was an option. We talked about that a little bit off the air earlier. Um, I think spring is a great option for college football, especially if they think that this is going to pass through or if there's a cure by then or a vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know if it's going to start on time with how much they depend on fan support and fan attendance for a lot of these schools. I mean, you got your power five schools that could probably play in empty stadiums and be just fine with the TV deals they have. But like the, the group of five schools and the FCS schools all the way down to D3. I mean, if they're playing in empty stadiums, they're, losing a ton of revenue mm-hmm. what, what kind of sparked my interest in this was a little bit before I guess all the college football talk actually started was you know obviously I've said throughout the show I'm a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners and there the University of Oklahoma is actually not allowing anybody on campus no in-person events on campus through August 1st so with spring football already being canceled and at earliest Oklahoma is going back on August 1st which I'd assume it's probably a similar timeline for a lot of other schools. That gives them, you know, three, four weeks to prepare and get all these new guys into the systems, whether you're changing quarterbacks or coaches, you know, got new recruits obviously coming in that don't know your system very well, don't know the playbook very well, which obviously, they, you know, they can study the playbook and everything in the off season while, while they're at home and quarantine and social distancing. But I agree that I, I'd hope that they would get more time to prep. Otherwise we're going to be seeing some real sloppy football, I think, come, come September, which nobody really wants, but I guess that's kind of when you're playing your cupcake schools and figuring out the kinks anyway, but it'll definitely be sloppier football than we've seen in a while on a college football scale. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, in, in or at least teams talk about those extra two weeks of practice they get during bowl season. If they make bowls, is huge because, you know, all the restrictions on practice time, they're, they're not getting spring practice. I mean, they might not even get August practice at this rate. So, like like you said, I'd rather them go back, come back maybe even, like, January or something like that, well-prepared. I mean, it's better for player health, too, that they're in good shape and things like that. I just think that it's the smart way to go if they really feasibly don't think they can get in the start of the season in September, I think it's the smart way to go is to move it to January or something like that and make football a spring sport for a year. Plus it gives us more football after the Super Bowl, which, I mean, you can't – which would be good to watch. T- taking over the XFL spot with spring yeah. football. Yeah, no XFL next year probably, so that would fail in perfectly. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last segment, talking about Husker sports, some of the things going on within the past couple of weeks while we've obviously been on a bit of a hiatus with school and everything going on. Uh, talk about some recruits, talking about virtual spring game coming up this weekend. So 
Casey, go ahead and break down some of the some of the recent recruiting news for us. Uh, for Husker Hoops, I mean, there was a lot of news. There was news that Gervais Green is leaving the program. Uh, Cam Mack left the program. A lot of the pivotal players from last year's team have left the program. So leaves a lot of spots for incoming transfers. And last year's players, Delano Banton, Shamil Stevenson, and Derek Walker, that could not play because they transferred. Uh, Teddy Allen and Lat Man are transferring from JUCO. Teddy Allen used to play at West Virginia, and Lat Man used to play at TCU. They are yeah, big. Teddy, Teddy Allen's an, an Omaha kid. Yeah, I think he went to Boys Town, didn't he? And isn't yeah. that how he was out here? Yep. Yeah. So he's a huge recruit for Nebraska. Obviously, has a little bit of the state in his background. Uh, Kobe King, huge transfer from um, Wisconsin, and Trey McGowan's and Kobe Webster, Trey McGowan's from Pittsburgh. Those are some big, high high profile transfers. I, oh, yeah. I know a lot of people are talking, telling Rothstein that. I mean, Nebraska's transfer you right now, so I mean, that's kind of how that's kind of how Hoiberg runs his programs. Though, is he gets a lot of these JUCO guys, a lot of these transfer kids that you know he kind of built Iowa State off this. While he during his time there, getting all these kids that weren't necessarily getting the minutes they they might have deserved at these other schools, and making them into really solid rotational players, solid core players, maybe even some stars in there. Um, with Husker Hoops news, we did have uh, obviously Donovan Williams decommitted the Lincoln native uh, a few months ago. He just announced his commitment this past week. He's going down to Oklahoma State, which I think is interesting. He was between Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Texas, I believe. So he pretty much left Nebraska, decided he was going for the, to the Big 12. So, you know, it would have been nice to keep that, keep him in state with, because, you know, you have other stars actually in Nebraska high school basketball right now. You have Chucky Hepburn from Bellevue West, but he's going to be going up to Wisconsin. You have uh, Hunter Salas from Miller North, who is a five-star now, actually, but he hasn't committed anywhere. He's only in his junior year going into senior year next year. So, you know, Nebraska is kind of raising some some really solid players in their uh, high school programs, and now they just got to start getting them on the Husker Hoops team. Yeah, they do have that one pivotal scholarship role left this year. So, I mean, when looking at it, I mean – the one thing that this team is really missing is a center. I, I'm really hoping that Nebraska can find a way to get that center on this team some, through either grad transfer or – I know there's not a lot of five-star and four-star guys out there, but, I mean, if you can get a, a young guy that you can develop with Wade Drago, I think they'll be in good hands in the next couple of years. What are, what are you looking for for Nebraska to do with that last scholarship spot, do you think? You know, I agree. I think a center would probably be best. I would like to kind of see it more go to a younger guy than – an already relatively developed player grad transfer just because Nebraska's not in win-now mode. You know, they got a couple transfers that will help them for the coming years and a couple guys coming in. But I think if they can get a big man that they can develop and that can rebound, play defense, you know, score just low post, just obviously good, solid, good big man play, kind of like Luca Garza from Iowa. Obviously not going to be anywhere on that level of talent, <laughs> but, but just – play that kind of similar role for Nebraska where he can just do a little bit of everything and just play, give you really solid minutes. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I mean, they got, they also have Charlie Easley too, that is on scholarship, but there's a lot, a lot of rumors about him that he, they might take away the scholarship after the year and he'll go back to walk on status. But I mean, there's, there's a lot that can definitely happen over the next couple months with Nebraska basketball. So I'm definitely intrigued to see what they do with the program. You know, Luca Garza has not declared for the draft yet. Maybe he'll just transfer to Nebraska. 
the grad transfer scholarship yeah (laughs) uh that would be then we would definitely be in win now mode yeah we would all right let's go ahead move on to the virtual spring game uh nebraska is seemingly the only college to be doing this right now it's going to be on saturday at 1 p.m going to be some teams full of legends i'm not sure quite how they're going to be playing it whether it's going to be an old ncaa football game or how they're building rosters but uh the red team has so far been announced with guys like Tommy Vrazer, Amir Abdullah, Rex Burkhead. You got Kenny Bell, Mike Rozier. And then on the defense, you got Grant Winstrom, Trev Alberts, great, obviously great Husker players, Barrett Rude, Prince Mukamara, more recently Nate Gary. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what this develops into because they'll be streaming it on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. You can check it out on all there because, you know, I mean – Husker fans are always dying for Husker football content. So I'm really curious to see how this does and how this is reacted to across, you know, the entire sports world. Yeah. You bring that up at like Nebraska, obviously they have the fans that are always going to back them and crave football 24 seven. I'm really, it's a, it's an, when you go to a Nebraska football game, as you know, it's an older fan base. So I'm really wondering how, if they're going to break down the demographics of who watches this, like if there's going to be, 70 80 year olds sitting in their house watching twitch on saturday like that's gonna that's something that you just thought you'd never see in a million years i I just love to see some of the statistics on this yeah that that is actually something i haven't thought about you know because obviously i feel like maybe the older demographics will be more on facebook more than anything just because they are streaming across those three platforms and you know maybe some of the the younger guys the college kids high schoolers millennials whatever you want to call them will probably be the more bigger target on uh on twitch and twitter but yeah i would be interested to see breakdowns of, of those demographics yeah there's i mean it's good on husker athletics for trying to do something innovative i know they get a huge draw for their spring game and this is no doubt a huge loss in revenue for them concessions mm-hmm. uh merchandise everything with what comes with an eighty thousand people coming into your stadium every or on a saturday in april yeah. but you know much I mean, not much you can do even with the $10 ticket sales or $15, whatever they charge for the spring game, you take that times 85, 90,000. That's in itself is a huge loss of revenue, even though it's only 10 bucks a person for that game. Pretty much pays one of those cupcake schools that come into Lincoln in August every single year. I mean, they pay them right, right around 900 to 1.2 million every single year to come play them. So also might still pay for part of Mike Riley's salary. <laughs> yeah, and I course too. I think there is. I think Bo Pelini's finally off the paybooks yeah, now. Bo Pelini's done. She's. They're still paying out a lot of money to those guys and Tim Miles too. So yep. <laughs> maybe that's where spring game money goes. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> pay it buyout. Pay your buyouts with the spring game money. All right, so I think that is going to do it for this episode of just doing our cob. Um, tune in next week. We will be talking about the NFL draft. We'll kind of be doing our own mock draft here on the episode. It'll be released, obviously, before the draft starts. We're looking forward to guys, you know, seeing where guys like Tua end up, Justin Herbert, who's going to be taking quarterbacks in the first round. Got, obviously, a stacked group of wide receivers that we'll be looking at, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, guys like that. And so be sure to tune in next week and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.